So I stand up and I'm like, is everyone having fun out there tonight? You know, <laughs> and they're looking at me like, who are you? I was like, I am Laura Schwab and I am president of Aston Martin. I was like, Shaquille, don't go too far because I want to challenge you. I was like, everyone back there at the beer pong, watch out. I'm challenging Shaquille O'Neal to a game of beer pong. I think he's like, wait, what's going on? What's going on here? <laughs> Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. And there's a quote I love that comes from the American architect, designer, inventor, and futurist, Buckminster Fuller. It goes like this. How often I found out where I should be going only by setting out for somewhere else. That seems to sum up the journey of my guest on today's episode, Laura Schwab, the president of Aston Martin. Quite often, young people starting out on their path through life, they approach me and ask how to get to where they want to go. Just listening to how a little girl went from jumping rope in Louisville to making ends meet by doing three jobs when she was around 27 to becoming president of the iconic British car company is a wonderful response to that question. It's also a powerful source of wisdom. A great journey frequently doesn't have a master plan. Consists of a series of zigzags that come about only because you've put yourself in the right place at the right time through hard work, awareness, commitment, help from others, and by taking some risks along the way. Laura's path put her in the driver's seat of one of the world's great automakers. Actually, it put her in the passenger seat when she allowed me to get behind the wheel and take one out for a little spin. It's hard not to feel like James Bond in the movie Goldfinger when you get behind the wheel of an Aston Martin. These cars are the definition of cool and elegance. The sound of the engine when you tap that gas pedal is like no other. They've been custom making these cars for more than 100 years. When I say custom made, that means only one seamstress works on an entire vehicle to keep the stitching uniform. It was great to meet Laura for so many reasons. In fact, it reinforced the serendipity of my own journey with this podcast. A few years back, people knew me only as a writer and interviewer. Then, one day a young guy who just dropped out of college named Alex Benayan showed up at Larry King's breakfast table to learn how to interview in order to write a book about the meaning of success. Our meeting at that breakfast table led to my mentoring Alex through his book, The Third Door. It's now a national bestseller. It was Alex who introduced me to Elliot Bisnow and the folks at Summit, where I was first asked to speak. And now I'm a speaker. And then Alex introduced me to Elliot's friend, Tim Ferriss, who put me on his podcast. And now I got a podcast. It's been one chance encounter after the next. And just last week, because I was speaking at a particular conference called Conscious Capitalism, I was offered a gift. I doubt that nobody outside of that conference was offered the same gift on that same night anywhere else in the world. You had to be at that conference in Austin, Texas. That gift was a hoodie. I put it on and it felt 
as comfortable as a second skin. I met the CEO of the company that made it. And now it feels like this hoodie may be taking me on a new adventure. Stay tuned. In the meantime, it'll help me customize this podcast for you. If you answer a few questions at calfussman.com backslash survey, questions like, if I could send you a gift, what would you like it to be? If you're looking for an incredibly comfortable hoodie, I think I know where to find it. And if you're hoping for an Aston Martin, well, that may be a little beyond my budget. But let me know what you'd like. We're about to hit the gas pedal. For some inspiration, let's get straight to Laura Schwab at Aston Martin. I know that Laura was in her garage jumping rope at the age of 10. That's true. For half an hour straight a night. Yeah. And I'm wondering how that little girl got to be sitting in this chair as president under the Aston Martin logo. How did it happen? Because there had to be a lot of swerves and bridges and mountains along the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a, it wasn't a very traditional path and it wasn't very straightforward. And I think if you told me when I was 10 years old, jumping rope in Louisville, Kentucky in the garage for half an hour a night that I'd be the president of Aston Martin, I would maybe say, are you sure? But I'd be like, well, why not? Did you know what an Aston Martin was? I don't think when I was 10, I probably did. Um, did I you watch like Goldfinger? <laughs> we or? did watch James Bond movies as a kid, but I was, I was obsessed with sports as a little kid. I mean, once I started playing tennis, like that was it for me. I was so laser focused. I asked my parents, I'm like, I'm quitting piano, I'm quitting ballet, like this is what I want to do. And I just obsessed over it. I mean, they weren't the ones pushing me into tennis. It was all me. Um, and once I got going, I just, you know, I trained as hard as I could. I'd play in the mornings from like 5 to 6.30, go to school, get picked up by coaches, train some more. And then I had to jump rope every night before dinner. So um, so what age did you start to play tennis? Not until I was 10. At 10, so that's that when was tennis really, That was late. Okay. Yeah, so I watched my parents playing growing up, and then um, I really, I begged them to let me play when I was nine, and then my mom said, no, let's wait till you're 10. Um, but I was always a very competitive kid. If I was losing the game of Scrabble in the house. Tiles went flying. Let's just say sometimes I accidentally flipped the board over, which was, like, not very well received by my parents. Um, growing up in Kentucky, um, you know, there's this thing you do called cotillion where, like, you learn how to dance and um, sit and act like oh, a lady and all this stuff. Right. Oh, yeah, it's all about manners. Well, I um, – they they would have – we'd do this on Friday nights. It's a little kid, you know, 8, 9 years old, 10 years old. And um, – they would sort of do these games, and I literally like knocked over another girl to like do because they were doing musical chairs, so I could get the chair and win the bag of M and M's. That's when my parents were like, "Maybe we should put her in sports." <laughs> and all the rest of the parents were like, "Who is this tyrant child?" And my mom and dad were like, "She's with us." <laughs> 
Now, were your parents competitive? Um, I think they were, but not to that extreme. My dad's always loved sports. He was a physician. Uh, my mom loved sports, but of, of the whole family, I think I was just sort of an extreme version of everybody. How many siblings? <laughs> I have an older brother and a baby sister, so. Um, oh, the middle, the middle child, child looking for attention. That's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So now you got a tennis racket in your hand yeah. and you are laser focused. Yeah, that was pretty much it for me. I mean, I got basically perfect grades all through school and it was tennis. And I knew that I wanted to go to tennis, you know, go to a college on a tennis scholarship. Does, does that help you knowing that you can achieve on a high level at that age? Oh, I credit my personality now, obviously to my family, but to playing sports. Um, because you learn how to play in front of people, you understand pressure situations. Even now when I get up to give a talk, or you know, it's, people are like, well, do you get nervous? So, well, no, not because I'm, you know, oh gosh, this is just so easy. I think because of the pressure of playing sports at a high level, I just got really accustomed to it. And, um, I really think there's this push to understand, you know, you go through, especially tennis, it's an individual sport. So there's this whole mental component to the game. You go through ups and downs on the court in any match, but it's never over until, you know, the final point. So I, I credit where I am today, one for having an older brother. Um, <laughs> what does having an older brother do for you? Um, uh, what is having an older brother and a younger sis sister? Well, they keep me in check, that's for sure. Right. Um, but I think growing up, like any siblings, you know, my brother gave me a hard time. So. Um, what's what's a hard time? Well, you he know. He wouldn't like put you in a sleeping bag and throw <laughs> you in the closet, would he? No, he didn't necessarily do that. Um, but um, he vacuumed my hair up in the vacuum cleaner accidentally once. <laughs> Let's just say that. And my very long hair um, was cut very short. Um, you know, that I kind think of older brother. That kind of older brother. He's okay. the best guy on the planet, so I don't want to get him in trouble <laughs> still. But I think having siblings, you know, we sort of, pushed each other and tortured each other at times. How, how much older? He's two years older. Two years older. And then my sister's eight years younger, so she's like the baby of the family. And what does that do for you? Um, I think that for me, having a younger sister created a real mothering instinct, which um, I actually think has translated to sometimes my management style and I, how I, I approach things. I was um, going to ask you, it, it, that's good way to learn how to manage younger people coming up? Yeah, I think so. So I, th I think I, like my brother helped instill this like toughness in me. And then I think having such a younger sister really helped me create that sort of caretaking instinct. Um, and then being part of a team and playing, you know, division one sports and you're know, really focused on the well-being of the people around me. I think, again, if I sort of encapsulate all of that, I look at my management style and how I do what I do, and I think it's like this interesting balance of all of those things. I could see the full package coming together. <laughs> and, and you're playing tennis at Notre Dame? Yeah, I played at Notre Dame. I went on a full tennis scholarship, and um, so I grew up Catholic. And growing up Catholic, you know, the dream is to go to Notre Dame. And um, I think because my parents wanted me to go there so badly, I was like, I'm not going to Notre Dame. And then I went on my recruiting visit, and I walked on the campus. And that was it. Football weekend, you know, 
and that was the end of it for me. And I was like, I have to go here. And there was only one scholarship that year, and um, I was desperate for it to be me. And if it was a game of musical chairs? I was going to probably push someone <laughs> off. By the way, though, it doesn't make me sound that good, but I will say um, I won the National Sportsmanship Award when I was 18 and under um, for tennis. So I was tough, but Congratulations. always Congratulations. How, how did that happen? <laughs> I guess um, it gets voted by the other players and stuff like that, and I... Um, I was always fair, you know, on the court. So a tough competitor. But then when we shook hands, I was friends with everyone. So I'm seeing somebody who's incredibly well-rounded. <laughs> Sometimes. No? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do. Um, I think I've got a big personality. But with that, I'm very compassionate. And I, I care very deeply about the team. I mean, I care more about the team than sometimes the work we put out. We're going to do great work, but I'm here. I look at my role as I'm one to, to really take care and and introduce you know some of the younger people on our team to the car business and help create careers for them. And some of my most rewarding moments in my career have been when people said, you know, we couldn't have done it if it weren't for you. Like you gave me this opportunity. You know that. Which means that along the way, somebody must have given you some big opportunities. Oh. Completely. Okay, so let, let's backtrack. Okay. Because I'm thinking you're getting out of Notre Dame. Yep. And probably straight A's to the day. Now it's time for a job. Yes. Yeah, so what now then? what? Now what? Now <laughs> what? Because unless you're going to play tennis as a professional, did you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I thought about playing pro, and I'd played some pro tournaments that what summer. What happened? You know, I realized I was probably like a half step slow. Um, oh, that's got That's really got to hurt. When you realize it, it is hard. I was about a half step slow. And once, you know, when you go on the pro tour, it's not like you're instantly playing at the U.S. Open, right? It's, it's a grind. And I'd get out on these matches. And, um, you know, I had the support and the backing of my parents. My opponents were like, we're playing for our meal ticket for the next week. It, it, was, it was ferocious. I mean, I... I was like, maybe this is, I'm probably a little bit slow. Maybe I need to come up with an alternative. So I had applied to law school. And um, now, I was. Was there any inkling toward law school and no, justice when you were a kid? Not whatsoever. Not, not, and, and, and the car industry was not in your no. mind. Because, you know, Mary Barra, uh, her dad worked for GM. And when she was a kid, her dad used to take, they used to send the car home. Yeah. Once a year, and it was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. And she could be crawling through the back of the car. It, 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 and GM's the only place she ever worked. Right. But you, it sounds very distant from cars. Oh, I wanted to be a sports announcer. I wanted to work um, for ESPN and be a sportscaster. <laughs> there you <laughs> That's go. That's what I was going to be, because okay. there weren't a lot of women That's, at that time. I don't even know any. So I was like, I'm going to work for ESPN. But um, in case it didn't happen, I was going to have my backup in law. So I had a government Spanish major at Notre Dame, and, and I really didn't know how it could translate into a career. And my parents had this deal with all of us, which was if you go to graduate, because they didn't want us to get stuck with student debt. So I was fortunate enough to go to Notre Dame on a scholarship, but then they said they'd pay for graduate school. So um, I'm like, well, what do you do with a government and Spanish degree? I guess you go to law school. So um, <laughs> oh, so I took the LSAT and um, 
and decided, I was like, well, you know, I'll move back to Kentucky. I'll be near the family. I'll go to the University of Kentucky. And so I went to UK law school. Um, so there was nothing pushing you to actually become an announcer. It was just kind of a childlike fantasy. It was just fantasy. sort of this childlike fantasy. And then it moved into the realism. I think growing up in a family where my father was a doctor, there's sort of, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. There's certain jobs that you do. And I think yeah, sports announcer. But no, I wouldn't have even known how to go about doing <laughs> it, to be quite frank. So I went to law school. Okay, um, so now you're in law school. What happens the first day of law school? It didn't go that well. <laughs> I actually remember. <laughs> Thank God. I know, I, I, know, I know. I remember it very vividly. Well, so the summer before law school, I was really fortunate that the Notre Dame tennis team went to Europe and we played at Roland Garros and we had all these matches and it was amazing. It was gone for like six weeks. And so while I was having a great time playing tennis and, you know, exploring Europe, everyone else that was starting law school with me apparently were buying their books and reading like all of the stuff they were supposed to read before the first day of school. Oh, so man. I showed up, you know, like, <laughs> here we go, I'm ready. And I didn't even know that I was supposed to be prepared for like the lesson on day one. And I was so embarrassed. Everyone knew why they were there and that they had a reason and what type of law they wanted to practice. And I was like, I don't know. I just flew in from Europe last night. So um, <laughs> it was a bit of a rude awakening that first day of law school. <laughs> and did you know then? Uh-oh. This... I, I think I was... I was really thrown off. I mean, I'll never forget. I was wearing like jeans and a t-shirt and people showed up like in suits and stuff. Like they were going to be practicing lawyers. And some of them were- Briefcases. Oh, oh they yeah, were they were already working at law firms. And I just looked so not serious. You know, and they don't call anyone by their first name. You know, you're Mr. or Miss, your last name. It's pretty strict. And I think after the first day, I was like, well, maybe this isn't for me, but- oh, I'll figure it out because I sort of thought I figured everything out along the way. And my first semester was really tough. And I remember going home at Christmas and I sat down with my dad. I just want to sit with my dad. I didn't want my mom there. You know, I didn't, I just wanted my dad because he's very calm. I said, dad, I don't think I'm going to be a lawyer. And I'm not sure this law school thing is for me. And I want your advice. And he's like, look, Laura, you've only been through one semester. Finish your first year. If you really don't think it's right for you, then we'll go a different direction. You know, they, my parents are amazing. Like they would have never put the pressure on me. Like you have to do this. Um, but I think he knew once I'd finished a third of it, I wasn't going to quit. So. Um, so he just wanted you to get through. I probably think so. knowing that it's a good exercise. Yeah, I think. And and you know, I sort of tell people, law school doesn't necessarily teach you how to be a lawyer. It teaches you how to think, and it teaches you how to be analytical. Academically, it was really tough. I mean, I went from being like captain of the Notre Dame women's tennis team to being like a okay law student. And and I emotionally went through a tough time. Were you still wearing jeans in class or I did you? I still did. I'm wearing <laughs> jeans right now. So <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Representing you know? Aston Martin. So yeah, some things never change. <laughs> okay, so you get through law school. What's it like when you get your law school diploma? It's amazing. It felt, you know what, I think of all my accomplishments, I felt like there, that one because I wasn't sure I wanted to be a lawyer and I felt like I was facing maybe my first sense of adversity of not necessarily being great at something, you know, sort of being middle of the pack. And um, then I remember walking across the stage and looking at my family and being like, 
I did this. And, you know, I look back now on things I'd accomplished. You know, I was like state champ and I straight A's and all these things. Actually finishing something that I wasn't sure was right for me. Um, and I struggled a bit. I was like the youngest person in our class that year. Felt really, I felt really proud. But then I had the second like, oh gosh, now what do I do? <laughs> this happens a lot in my life, by the way. Now what? <laughs> this is what I came curious. I, I'm trying to connect the, the chains that took you yeah. from the jump rope to Minneapolis, where you're on stage for Aston Martin challenging Shaquille O'Neal to a game How of beer pong. How did you know about that? <laughs> I, was, I was in Minneapolis at the Super Bowl and word spread. <laughs> And he, he didn't take me up. And I he think, fled. He fled. I think he was nervous about the challenge. I'm not a bad ping pong player, by the way. Shaquille's uncle Mike called me up a week ago, and I forgot to ask him. Oh, my gosh. The next time you talk to him, because I'm still prepared for, for the matchup. I'm ready. It's not a rematch. We never got to have the match in the first place. Uh, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. But to go from the jump rope to beer pong. I mean, that's really that's, that's, that's really pretty... <laughs> the story of your life. Yeah. There's a lot of the now what. I think, you know, I graduated from law school and I started practicing a bit. And um, and I found it a challenge, just like I found law school a challenge. And, again, growing up in the South, I would say there's a bit of an expectation, like, well, now you're ready to settle into your career and you're going to meet someone and you're going to live in Louisville, Kentucky and have a family and and. I felt like I hadn't even started yet. You know, I'd closed the chapter on tennis, but I hadn't even opened the chapter on, you know, my career or what I was going to be capable of. And I think, you know, when I was in law school, it was tough and people were like, you're never going to be a very good lawyer. And and I so there's like almost like these voices ringing in my head and I'm like, maybe I won't, but I want to do something else. And so I started to settle into practicing and I did not feel like it was for me. What were you practicing? Contract law. Contract law. Yeah, so that's like when you just come out of law school and you're practicing contract law, you're agonizing over whether it's like a semicolon or a colon. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, it, you know, you're not in the courtroom <laughs> arguing legal cases. So um, I had some friends that lived in Southern California. And, again, if you looked at my resume at the time, you know, so for any kids that are listening to this, if your resume says you've done nothing, it's okay. You still get a job. Mine said <laughs> I'd done nothing except go to school and play tennis and go to law school. And I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, at least I'd showed that I was, you know, I went to Notre Dame. It's a very reputable university. But my, I had some friends living out in California, and I asked them, I said, you know, could I use your address on my resume? Because... I think I want to move to California, but I need to get a job. And there's no way anyone in California is going to hire someone from Kentucky and move them out here, you know? So my, my, the only way I'll get the interview is if it looks like I'm from California. Um, Don't Is there a road trip coming up? No, you, no you're flew, not going to get some great road trip story. No. I just kind of flew out and, <laughs> and I started walking in the door of like any job. That, I mean, I first, I walked into the door of a, I was able to get an um, interview like with a headhunter. And I walked in the door and they looked at my resume and I started talking and I had a, a thicker Kentucky accent at the time. And it was like, mm, I'm not sure with that accent <laughs> you're going to fit in out here. I was like, what accent? But I just sounded very Southern. <laughs> and I love the South. There's nothing wrong with the Southern accent. So um, 
I started applying for jobs, and I kept getting turned down. What was that like? Here you are, the straight-A student. Horrible. State champion. It was really tough because everywhere I interviewed, I'd walk in the door, and it's like, well, you don't have any experience. This I'm is like, my son right now. Oh, how old is he? Uh, he's in his last year of college. I can totally relate to this. Send him to me. I'll talk to him. Holy cow. I'll talk to him. I'm a big fan of giving kids a break, too. Really? Because someone gave me a break, which basically set up my career for me. I walked in the, so I started interviewing. I took one job at a temp agency, like working as a personal assistant, which I was actually like really good at. And I walked in the door of this little, and I went on a whole bunch of interviews, and I walked in the door of this little startup company in San Diego, California. And I mean, I didn't even know what they did. It was just like looking for, you know, energetic young professionals. I'm like, back then it was, it didn't even have to tell you anything. But energetic? I, I got energetic young. down. Young. <laughs> these, these are professional, maybe not so much, but I'll take All the, the boxes energe- are getting checked here. Exactly. Right. So I walked in the door and I didn't really know what they did. They said, do you know that much about our company? And I said, well, not really. And um, they're like, what do you know about the internet? I'm like, oh, this is in the late 90s. So no one knew much about the internet. I said, well, um, not that much, but I'm really fast learner and I'm a really hard worker. And they're like, what do you know about cars? I'm like, oh, I love cars. You know, and it's like, what do you drive? And I had an Isuzu Rodeo at the time. I was like, I have an Isuzu Rodeo, you know, like the SUV. And I'm like, and I, you know, I really love cars. And anyway, I went to this interview. Did you really love cars? I kind of did. You know what? It's interesting. Recently in my high school, like my best friend from high school, she read an article and she said, you said you didn't love cars. She's like, you always like cars more than the rest. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. She's like, you always like cars more than than all the rest of the girls. But I I didn't really remember that So it was in there. You just didn't. I just maybe hadn't tapped into it yet. Okay. So um, anyway, I finished the interview and the CEO, I started, you know, I shook the hands and I, I walked to the door and the CEO said to the HR manager, don't let that brain get to the door. He told me later that that's what he said. And they said, we'd like to offer you, they brought me back in immediately and they said, we'd like to offer you a job. Um, I was their 11th employee. I didn't even know what the job was. And it was like, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll it. take it. And it was like, they'll pay me, you know, $20,000 or something and all these stock options because it was this little tech startup and they happened to sell cars online. And I mean, I knew nothing about it. And then I showed up at work the next day and um, it was kind of cool. They built like, um, you know, when you go online, if you're buying a new car and you go online and you sort of start configuring the car you want, you pick the colors and all that stuff. They built this sort of technology that enabled that type of configuration. Uh, and the internet really allowed that to go yeah, and play. exactly. And you could actually buy your car online, which was a pretty cool proposition. Even now, what they did was pretty cool. Um, so now you are actually at the cutting edge because, well, the internet, yes. the internet is just exploding and you're out in front of it. Completely. And it was just by total chance. And, um, you know, I, I do credit them for, for giving me my break. And I started working at the startup company and it really started to grow. It was it was a full like reverse auction marketplace where you would go online, configure your car and dealers bid for your business. And, and it was a great concept. And, you know, we were preparing ourselves, you know, to go public, which ultimately didn't happen, unfortunately. But I learned about, co- I learned how to code. I learned how to build digital ads. I, I mean, 
everything. And I learned about cars. Now, this is interesting because we hear so much about women in tech. You just went in and, and they just started to teaching you how to code. Yeah, they'd, and they'd seat me with the coders and I'd sit down with them and they would just start showing me how to code. And did you like it? I liked it because there was like a rhythm to it and I could pick it up. Because again, you're sort of intimidated. Like, I don't know anything. I have a law degree. Like, what do I know about cars or the internet? And so... Um, now it's cars and code. Cars and code. I can't code anymore. But yeah, it was cars, code, advertising, lead generation. Um, it was a little bit of everything. But now you can put a website together. I could, and yeah. And that's what, you know, ended up being sort of transformative. But I wasn't I wasn't making that much money. And so to make ends meet, I worked two extra jobs. So, you know, I'm 26, 27 years old working three jobs. What were you what else were you doing? Um well, have you you will have, like you know Tony Robbins, yes, the motivational I, speaker? I've been at have his you, conferences. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Jumping up and right. down, screaming. So, you, so you've been to his conferences. You were jumping up and down, screaming I wasn't. too? No, that's no. not what I was doing. I was sitting in a room, <laughs> so he would have his conferences, and then they'd keep all the data, and then they would send um, letters back to all the people. So I wrote, like, responses to, like, the fan mail and stuff that Tony— uh, okay. So I would—so they gave me a script, and I was supposed to, like— just basically sit there and type the response, you know, like, thank you for coming to my conference. You know, it was so great to have you there. Well, I went off script because I got really bored. Just, you know, I'd copy and paste and I'd mend it a bit. And so they uh -oh. were, no, they were like, who's writing these letters? And they're like, she is, you she's like the intern. I was just doing it to make a little extra money. Um, but then Tony Robbins wanted to meet me. He won't remember this. He shook my hand and he thanked me for my um, clever approach to <laughs> responses on fan mail. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we're seeing the creativity come in. Maybe a little bit, yeah, at the time. You know, I could write because obviously I'd gone to law school, but you know, I was I mean, I've never worked so hard in my life because I had the job at the startup. I was writing the fan mail on the weekends I was helping. Like I met this lady in the town I lived in and her boyfriend needed help doing his books electronically. You know, he's like, "Oh, I want to start computerizing my accounts." And they're like, well, you work for a you tech can code, company. You yeah. can do this. And the last week of every month, I would still probably eat beans and rice for a month because I didn't have any money. Oh, and my man. parents, my parents would have supported me. I just didn't want to ask. You know, I was like really determined to show. I don't know. I, I've I've been asked this question. I don't know who I was trying to prove it to. Like myself, my family. I just I didn't want to take anything. I wanted to prove that I could create a career outside of law and make ends meet and try to be successful. So, um, yeah, so those few years were interesting. Um, and where's the, the chain lead from there? There's got to, either somebody notices you or you reach out to something new. Yeah, someone noticed me and it was um, a friend of mine who I'm still friends with. Um, and he worked with me at the startup and he'd gotten a job at Land Rover. And um, to like basically, run their marketing you know he was like he was really good he was more senior many years of in car of car experience and so um we'd grown close to the startup i think he saw that i was you know had a lot of you know attention to detail i was energetic um i was a really fast learner and he said you know I hate to break it to you, but I don't think this dot com thing like I don't think you're gonna be like a multimillionaire at age twenty seven but I think I could maybe get you a job at Land Rover. And I'm like, no, I don't 
I'm staying here, you know, this is gonna happen. You know, when you, like working at this tech startup, like I was, in my head, the dream was going to come true. And he's like, look, you need to listen to me. I think I can get you a job and I think you should take it. And so I said, well, what's the job? And he's like, look, they don't really have, I mean, they've got a website, but they don't have a configurator and someone needs to redo their website. And they want to well, pre ah. and they want to pre-sell three thousand cars online. Well, I'd come from a company that sold cars online, so um, this is perfect. I know it's just again like amazingly fortuitous. And um, I said, well, am I going to be like a full-time employee? It's like no, but look, you're going to be a contractor. But if you work really hard, you could be lucky enough that they'll hire you. And he's like, and I'm going to support you. So I decided to leave the dream of the startup. And Land Rover was based outside Washington, D.C. at the time, but it, Ford was getting ready to buy Land Rover. And so they thought maybe it would move to California. He's like, you don't need to move to D.C. You're just going to commute for like a year and, um, and you need to get a contract. And I said, well, who's going to write my contract for employment? You're a lawyer. I, I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote my first contract for employment. I know. So I was like, when my mom and dad are like, you never really used your law degree. I was like, yeah, I did. Came in handy. I came then. in really handy. I wrote my first contract um, at Land Rover. Contractual law. See, there see how go. it comes. Yeah, it all starts coming like I'm, into I'm focus. Starting You're starting to, to see piece this all thing the together. pieces come together. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you write the contract. I get the job at Land Rover. I start commuting from San Diego to Washington D.C. You know, I was I was literally like low person on the totem pole. I mean, I didn't even really have a real desk. I sort of sat in the corner. My first day of work, someone asked me if I was like a high school intern. I was like, no, I'm like the new internet project manager. So we got the website up and running and we did the thing. We pre-sold the cars. Meanwhile, Ford bought Land Rover and um, moved everyone out to California. And and so the, the guy was the VP of marketing. He said, I just... Laura, I can't seem to remember, you know, what contract are you on? I was like, oh, I'm on my own. And like, do you realize we're probably going to have to fire you? I was like, oh, my gosh, please do not fire me. Like, this is my first real job. I will do anything. And they said, well, this Internet job, it didn't actually exist as a full-time job yet. I mean, this is like in the year 2000, 2001. It's amazing. It's incredible to think about, right? Yeah. And um and so they said, but there is a job we could give you. And literally the job was like, I was like, I will take it, anything. And it was someone who would input the parts codes, like for parts, you know, car parts, like into the system. So literally it was just like data entry. And I said, I'll take it. They said, but you know what we're willing to let you do? You can keep doing all the internet stuff. And I was, and so I'm like, this is great. Now that I think about it, I was like, oh, they let me do two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I thanked him. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you were given carte blanche to get yeah. their whole internet strategy going. Yeah, and the guy that I worked with, again, he's a good friend of mine. He was kind of one of the first internet gurus out there. So I, like, learned everything I could from him. And um, he really taught me the ins and outs of a bit of the car business and the internet so I get that job and I start doing the data entry job. And a couple of the people I worked around like took notice, like, well, she's a really hard worker. I mean, because I'm like, I'll you put that data in better I, than anybody. anybody. <laughs> and then I emptied the garbage cans at night. I mean, I would do anything. Like it didn't, I was not above doing anything. And um, so this job opened up in Boston, you know, so I you know, had the job out here and it's going okay. And I'm I'm doing pretty well. 
But everyone had just moved to California, and the job in Boston was to be like a regional representative to the dealerships, you know, so sort of like the corporate liaison between the automotive manufacturer and the, and the car dealers. And um, one of the VPs had said, you know, you are woefully underqualified for this job. In fact, you have zero <laughs> qualification for this job. However, if you're lucky, no one will apply for it um, because no one wants to move to Boston after they just all moved to California. And it was like January and it was, you know, cold in Boston. And, what luck. Um, I know. And so I said, well, do you think I should do it? And he looked at me and he's like, we're just not sure this internet thing's going to take off. So you don't want to be the person in the corner, you know, running the oh, internet. No. This is, you know, no one knew what it was going to be. So, um, so I was lucky and I said, well, I, I, I'll put my hat in the ring and I'll apply for this role. And no one, no else, one else really applied other than me. And I was like, you know, if you give me this job, I will work harder than anyone. And if I'm not successful, you know, you can, you can fire me, you know, I don't care. Just, I really want this. <laughs> And I got the job and I picked up my stuff and I moved to Boston and I forget what year that was, maybe 2003, 2002, and bought a place in the south end of Boston and took on my new role, which I was woefully underqualified for. <laughs> but you were on the cutting edge of this, so. Yeah, I think. I think was anybody really qualified for it? Well, the, the regional roles they were. Yeah. It was pretty much all men. You know, I was the only woman at the time doing a job like that um, in the company because it was working directly with the car dealers. And, you know, the perception that dealers can be tough, you know, they're independent business owners right. and, and that I was going to show up to tell them how to run their business. And they're going to look at me like, how do you know how to run my business? Wow. But I got really lucky that they took really good care of me. And some of the dealers in the Boston area, again, are still like my really good friends. And this one lady who's a very dear friend of mine, she's like, you don't really know that much about the car business, do you? I was like, no. <laughs> I don't. And she's like, do you want to come work at the dealership for a couple of weeks? She's like, I'll teach you and I'll have my team teach you. And I literally went and worked at her dealership. I showed up every day and they taught me how to write lease deals and understand service department and parts and all the rest of that it. That is amazing. Yeah. You she just, just opened her whole company to you? Yeah. You just, this is the, you meet people along the way that give you these breaks and... And you're still doing your job. Well, so yeah, so I said to my boss, I said, well, what's the training program in my new role? It's like, well, there really isn't one. You just get in there and you start doing it. And so then I said, well, um, this one dealer's gonna let me like work at the dealership for a few weeks. He's like, do whatever you need to. I mean, that job was all about hitting numbers. If you hit your numbers, it doesn't matter how you do it, you know? And so I'm like, well, I can't hit my numbers if I don't understand what generates them. <laughs> So, yeah, and then that was kind of, you know, that's when I really started to understand the car business and how it works. And um, I wasn't just the Internet person anymore. I was, I had a different role. You know, there's so, a lot of the younger people, they use the phrase hacking success. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. If you have to put in data, you'll put in data. Oh, if yeah. you, you're going to learn the automotive business, well, you figured out a way to learn it from the ground floor up. Yeah, you kind of have to. Like, I, you know, because I'd gone to law school, I mean, I didn't have a business major, so I didn't really know how to work Excel at all. Like, I didn't know how to work Excel spreadsheets. And, and so when I got into that role, everyone, you know, the way that you sort of understand the math, how to do the leasing and all that, you had to do it on an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to use Excel. 
So I paid for myself and I took uh, classes at night and learned how to, you know, do Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so you're like slowly putting yourself together piece by piece by piece. It was survival and, at the time. I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't think I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to run a car company. I think I was just like, well, maybe someday I'll be a manager. You know, if I could just be a manager someday, that would be amazing. You know, and I just kind of was like all these sort of like baby steps. And what's the next step? So then I, I moved to Texas and I took a, a role there, similar to the one in Boston, but a, a slightly bigger region. Um, and by that point, I knew how to work with the dealers. I knew how the business worked. I was actually quite proficient. I'd been doing it for like five years. And then this role opened up in California and it was like a general manager role. And um, it was the head of all sales operations. So like sales planning and ports and logistics, like anything that went to sales operations and automotive. And I was like, I really want this job. Why? Well, because it was like the next step up. I mean, it, it was going from being like a manager to a general manager. And that was that was a big deal. And the person in charge of sales operations kind of had like their finger on the pulse of everything related to the sales team. And I was like, I, I want to be that person. Like, I, I want my, I, I want to be like finger on the pulse. Like, I want to run it all. Is there a moment that you realized, okay, I'm really ready now? I think I thought I was then. Um, I was probably a few years behind, but at the time I thought I was. Oh, okay. And they, so I applied for the job and they're like, we just don't think you're ready. Um, and we're, we're going to offer it to someone else, you know, because there was lots of jobs I applied for and I got turned down and I kept applying and I'd get turned down. And they offered it to this other person and this guy and he accepted it. And then he decided he was taking a job at, at another automotive manufacturer. And so they were stuck and they didn't have someone. Oh, yeah, this is like, again, like good luck or something. And they're like, well, we're just not sure. And I said, give me 90 days. If I if I don't if I'm not doing a job in 90 days, you can demote me back to where I was. Give me 90 days, and um, and I took on the job, and I worked my butt off to prove like that they had made the right decision. And after the first 90 days, they're like, it couldn't be anyone other than you, you know, because this was you know by this time you know years this is 2008. We're getting ready for the whole, the bottom to fall out and- oh, um, Hold it, so you took that job? Now now you took it not in October of 2008. No, well, everything similar hit. timing. So right when I took the job, the bottom fell out of the automotive marketplace and the market in general. And um, those are your 90 days? Yeah. It's like the worst time <laughs> they were in the American worst. history. I was like residual values were dropping, you know, I always said minute by minute and we had to, you know, the the books on the cars were changing and it was like chaos. And I guess I was like really calm during the storm and, and, and was able to try to keep the team motivated and it was really hard. So, um, yeah, so I got that job and I think I proved, I think I proved that, I think I proved how tough I could be if there was ever a question, you know. Thank your brother for the, I putting that vacuum next to your hair. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, I'm envisioning I do, like a Hoover vacuum hose. It was just, pretty. It was pretty intense. Okay. <laughs> no, I think there was like, um, you know, sometimes as as the years have gone on and, and I've had time to reflect, I think there's been the, you can you still be tough and be nice and smile? Like you're sitting across from me, so you notice I sort of smile a lot. Yeah. Um, 
but you can be, and you can be tough in business, and you don't have to beat the people down around you. Actually, they're the ones who help. You know, I love teams. They're the ones who build you up to to get to where you want to go. So anyway, I got that job, and then it really started. You know, I did that job. I then flipped over to a marketing role. They asked me to be the head of all marketing communications, and I'm like, I'm not a marketing person. And, you know, they're like, we need you to come in and fix some things. Then they move me back into sales. So are you now seen as somebody who can fix problems? A little bit, yeah. That And I, again, I just... I and, think and that goes across the board then. Whatever the problem whatever is, the problem you're going to figure it, didn't it out. Matter. It didn't matter what department. Um, so I started flipping back and forth between sales and marketing. And, and this is the, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, um, like, my friends from Jaguar and Landro. I mean... They helped build my career. They gave me these chances. And my mentors were the ones that I'd be like, well, should I take this job? Trust me, you should do it. So when I was, when I switched from sales to marketing, they were like, you should do this. And these were some of the best decisions I made. But I didn't make them on my own. I, I had people I really trusted along the way. So it sounds like there's a shift of give me 90 days to Trust us. Yeah, this, this is the person. This, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was. And I said, it's it's what's interesting in your career. So this is a good tip for your son. You'll go from the, you have no experience, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. And there'll be one sweet spot where you have just the right amount of experience. And then it tips to the, you're overqualified. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah, so you got to, like, be careful of, like, what phase you're in. <laughs> All right. I'll pass that on. Dylan, yeah. you hear that? Yeah. Okay. We'll talk to Dylan. We'll take care of him. <laughs> okay. So, so now you're moving up. I'm moving up, and I sort of flip back and forth between some roles. And um, then I was asked if I, um, you know, I moved to New York, and then I got asked if I wanted to take on an international assignment. They were prepared to make me a director of the business, and they wanted to know if I would move internationally. And I was like, I'm single. You know, sure, I'll move internationally. And so I was then given the role of head of marketing for Landrover, and then ultimately Jaguar and Landrover in England. So I was asked to move to the UK, which I was so excited about. You know, I think the fact that they wanted to hand me these brands to run the marketing departments, because marketing is everything from product marketing to data marketing and digital and and then traditional stuff. So I packed my bags um, in 2011 and I got on a plane from New York to Heathrow. And, and I'm looking at your face. You fell in love. Well, I did fall in love in England. My <laughs> husband's British, but that was not why I moved there. I was looking, it was on your face. Did I have yes, a look? it was all over your He's face. He's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wasn't planning on meeting anyone. No, I moved there. When I landed at Heathrow, I started crying. I was like, what have I done? I don't know anyone. So I've, I had one friend in England, my very dear friend, Frank, and he and I have been friends almost the entire time I worked at Jaguar Landover. So we're going on almost 20 years of friendship. He was living in England and I landed at Heathrow. And the first thing I did was like, you know what? I just need to do something that feels familiar. Cause I got in my car, you know, they had like, uh, I forget what Landover they had waiting for me at, at Heathrow. I said, I'll just drive through McDonald's. That'll feel familiar. So I, I land at Heathrow. Oh, no. I, dri- I know, I drive through McDonald's, but you know, I'm driving on the wrong side of the road and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> so I get, and then, you know, like the, the drive-throughs kind of go the other way around. Right. So I, I go through the drive-through and I ordered like a large Diet Coke. I actually remembered what I ordered. Large Diet Coke and like three chicken McNuggets. And so I get to the, 
I get to the window and they hand me the large Diet Coke and I looked at the guy handing it to me and I was like, no, no, that's a small. I ordered a large. And he's like, that is a large. Everything I close up is smaller. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so that was my like attempt at familiarity. But um, I drove up to where where the company was based. I stayed in a hotel for a bit. I had a flat that I moved into, and and I ran marketing. And that and those for almost five years, I lived in the UK running marketing for Jaguar and Land Rover, and was fortunate enough. You know, I've met many of the members of the royal family. I, you know, represented the brand at the Invictus Games. Like, I did all sorts of really cool stuff. And um, again, I keep... No, are, are you, like, I'm seeing there's happiness all over your face while you're just, recalling this. I just don't think, I, I don't know. I'm looking at this jump rope as well, which looks really hard. <laughs> like, remember being, you know, a 10-year-old kid in the garage in Louisville, Kentucky, jumping rope to play college tennis. And then I'm... You know, now in you're England, meeting royalty. yeah, meeting Prince Charles and curtsying and, um, you know, speaking in front of thousands of people about, you know, the car business. You know, it was just, um, I think, a bit of a dream, but at the same time, still completely focused. You know, like I got to the UK and I'm like, oh, you know, there's gonna be tons of other Americans there. There really weren't. People were like, oh, you're gonna like it that you sound different and the novelty of being an American. And actually, I, I didn't want that type of attention. Like, I like the attention of you're doing great work. I didn't, not around like what I was saying or my supposed accent. <laughs> so it was just an amazing few years for me. And um, my friend Frank, who I mentioned, he's the one who introduced me to my husband, who I did meet when I moved to the UK. He, my husband asked me out for like four months. I'm like, I'm too busy to go on a date. I'm like, I'm, you know, like head of marketing. I, I don't have time for this. And then I finally went out with him. I was like, well, he's really nice. <laughs> and you like this, our first date, he took me to the track for like horse racing. So I'm from Kentucky. So oh, per- smart guy. Very smart guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He is. So, okay. um, so now it sounds like everything is all come together now you, you met the guy it sounds like it makes it all sound like it's perfect and like anything in life it has its highs and lows right oh, and right. there's days where you're like i've never felt this euphoria like when we've as a team accomplished a task and then there are other days where you know it's tough like that's that's just life a little bit but it's perfectly content really happy and i uh, wasn't looking for another job you know, was pleased with where I was. And then what happens? And then, um, so a friend of mine contacts me, and he and I had worked together out in California when I was the data entry person, but he must have noticed something in me. And we, we'd stayed in touch, and he contacted me, and he said, Laura, um, I can't believe all this time we're both living in the center of England. I'm now the chief marketing officer for Aston Martin. And um, have you ever been to the Aston Martin factory? And I'm like, no, I can't believe, and I couldn't believe it. When he asked me, I said, I can't believe I haven't been there because the brands were sort of all situated near one another in the center of England. And uh, my friend Simon, and he said, you know, he said, why don't you come to a factory tour? He's like, I'll show you around. It'd be really good to reconnect. Um, he's like, it looks like you're doing great stuff. And, um, you know, we're both working in marketing. I was like, okay, the CMO of Aston Martin wants me to come to a factory tour. How cool is this? So I mean, I'll never forget the day because I was just like, oh, I'm going to go see my old friend and this is going to be really fun. So um, that morning, 
I went to, so back to my obsession with sports, I'd never been to a cricket match and I'd been invited to go to Lord's Cricket, which is like, you know, like the, the place to go to watch cricket. cricket. And, um, and I'd never been to cricket, so I didn't know like, what are you supposed to wear and how do you behave? So I said, well, all the cricket I'll show play. up in jeans. <laughs> I, well, in theory, that almost would have been better. I showed up because I'm like, well, cricket players wear all white. Maybe I should wear all white. Like, what am I going to do? Like, fill in if someone gets injured or something. So I'm in an all white dress and white shoes. So I know this is like my outfits are always very important. So I go to the cricket match. Great. Take the train back up to the center of England. And I, I get off in Gaydon, which is where Aston Martin is headquartered. And I walk in the door. I meet my friend Simon. And he's, you know, we're just like old friends. Like, oh, my God. I said, wow, I can't believe I've never walked in the door of Aston Martin. I said, I don't even know that much about the brand. I mean, I hadn't done any research. I was just Do like. Do you remember the, the James Bond movies? I and- knew James Bond. I knew all of that. And I'd seen them around England. But I didn't know that. You know, the company had been founded in 1913. I didn't know that the vehicles were handmade. I did all these things, like how how it all works. So I, um, so Simon, we catch up for a little bit. He's like, come on, I'll take you on a factory tour. And literally, we walk in the door, and I do remember this moment so vividly. The doors of the factory open up, and it's immaculate. I mean, it's so clean. And I've been in a lot of car factories. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And I look at him, I said, why is it so quiet in here? And he's like, let me show you. So he starts walking on the tour and, and we stop along the line and he shows me like, this is where he said, everything's handmade. It takes you know, 200, 250 hours to make an Aston Martin. Everything's hand stitched by one seamstress. So one seamstress stitches your entire vehicle because no two people have the same, you know, so, cause it's handmade. So you Detail. can only have one person. And then he takes me through the paint process, which takes 50 hours, and he starts talking about the badges. And he's like, oh, well, these are made in the jewelry district in Birmingham. You know, like most car brands, it's plastic. Ours is actually a piece of jewelry. And we're walking through here, and I was like, Simon, this is amazing. I was like, I've never, you know, I I, I love cars. I love the car business. But I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, he's like, well, Laura, let me show you. We have one. There's one robot in the Aston Martin factory, James Bonder. So it like bonds <laughs> the cars together. Anyway, we're walking along, and it was like, oh, well, look who's here. This is Andy Palmer, our CEO. And I was like, oh, hey, Andy Palmer, how's it going? I'm super <laughs> casual. Like I'd been at a cricket match earlier in the day, and still um, dressed in all white. All white. I'd probably had a few glasses of champagne earlier. I was like, I'm super relaxed. Like great to meet you all. And Simon's like. Um, We've been following your career. I said, that, Simon, that is so nice. I can't believe it's taken us this long to reconnect. And Andy Palmer looks at me and he's like, um, we have a, a job proposition for you. We'd like you to be president of Aston Martin. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I was like, wait, this is a job interview? I said, you've got to be kidding me. Um, it doesn't sound like it was an interview. It sounds it like... It was literally a factory tour. And, and I mean... Simon's probably one of the smartest people I know and a great marketeer, an amazing PR person. And so he was just sort of asking me questions and I was talking about the work I had done, but I didn't even realize it, you know, I'm just walking through the factory. So um, so were they gonna offer you the job regardless or were they, was, was he listening to you he, to see I think he was where listening. you're at? Well, I remember this, at one point in time, he sent a text message, which was the Andy get down here. I guarantee it. Oh, yeah, man. So, um, <laughs> so there was like a plan A and a plan B. There probably B. was. <laughs> I, you know, I need to ask him this, actually. So um, 
So I went home. I finished the tour, and I just I looked at them. I was like, "Well, I'm not really looking for a job. I'm." Hold it! They just offered you the presidency of Aston Martin, and you said, "Well, you know, I was." Really I wasn't looking really looking for a job. I said, "I, I, you know," and they said, "Well, you know, maybe you come back and meet the chief sales officer and meet some people from HR." I was like, uh, "Okay." So I go home. How many glasses of champagne did you many, have that morning? Not that many. Not that many. Not that many. No. So I go home, and. Um, so my husband, you know, British, background is electrical engineering, loves cars. We sit down. Oh, man. I know. When, so we, I, 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 know. I can't even imagine his, his face, face when you told him that. So we sit down and I said, he's like, he goes, how was your day? I was like, oh, I went to this cricket match. And I said, then I went to Aston Martin factory. He's like, well, tough day. And, um, <laughs> and I said, and I started explaining like how these cars are made. And I just said, I said, and I said, Nick, do you, do you realize how they handcraft these cars? I said, every single one is a piece of art. You have never seen anything like this in my life. I've been in the car business a long time. I said, then they offered me a job. He's like, they offered you a job. I'm like, yeah. And then I told him, it's like, oh, they want me to pres- be president of Aston Martin for the Americas. And, he looked at me and he said, that is the coolest blanking job in the world. And I said, it is, isn't it? I was like, oh, I, was like I said, you can't believe how amazing this place was. And so, um, and I said, well, what, what, do you- I, I, what I can't believe that you go in, you're telling him the details of the day rather than just starting the conversation. No, I didn't start, I didn't you start never with believe what happened to me no, today. No, I didn't start with a job. I went through the whole day. And then I, I, oh, I like man. a story from the beginning to the end. So, um, yeah, you'll get it. Like, obviously, I love a good, like, sort yeah, of. Well, well, marketing. I know. So, um, so I looked at him and I said, what do you think we should do? And he said, I think we should move to the United States. He did not hesitate. He didn't say, well, we need to think about it. What about my job? He said, it sounds like we're moving. In an instant, just like that. He knew. He knew. He'd seen those James Bond he'd movies. Seen, well, of course he had. <laughs> Who hasn't? Um, I also think, too, you know, um, there's something about picking the right partner in life who, whose happiness is your happiness. And, you know, I think he knew saying no wasn't going to wasn't going to be an option. So he didn't want to turn it into, like, a big, long, you know, let's talk about this for months. He's like... Done. Let's do it. And, and then um, what's going on in your head? Well, then I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, I've got to tell, you know, I've got to tell Jaguar Land Rover. They've given me my career. You know, I've got to go back to Aston Martin. You know, we gotta go, I've got to move. I moved to the United States. Um, good thing you can write contracts, though. Good thing I can't. I didn't have to write my own contract <laughs> on this one. Um, you know, and then obviously, too, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to be really fair to Land Rover and Jaguar. So... I stayed and I worked up until, I worked there until Friday afternoon and I started at Aston Martin on a Monday. I took a weekend off. Cause I didn't, cause they'd been so good to me. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> so, um, okay. yeah. So I, I, I walked into the Aston Martin. I spent two weeks at Aston Martin in the UK. And the first day they're like, um, okay, this is the car you get to drive today. And I'm like, you've got to be today. kidding me. I'm like, wait, I get to drive a different one every day. The first two weeks, I literally, I could show you on my phone, I have pictures of myself every morning in front of the cars. Like, I'd never done that before, just because I couldn't believe that, I couldn't believe I was driving Aston Martin to work, you know? I mean, it was just crazy. Um, so I spent two weeks in the UK. And what was it like getting in the car for the first time? 
Um, what car was it? Do you remember? It was a Vanquish um, convertible. And I got in the car and I started looking around. I was like, I've never, I've never, you know, because I'd seen the cars, but to actually experience it. And there's something about an Aston Martin that I can actually hear the sound when the, when someone turns the car on, I can instantly tell you it's an Aston Martin. So when I would turn the car on, it's like, it would just give gives you like these chill bumps because there's the roar of the engine. And, um, and so the first time I drove on, this is actually kind of funny. So I'm driving from my house to the, you know, to work, you know, like day two, and I'm in this car. And I am like, this is a very nice car and I need to make sure I do not do anything wrong with this car. I am going so slowly. I look at my rear view mirror and there's like 30 cars behind me. And they're literally like, you're in an Aston Martin. Like just hit the accelerator. But I was like, it's so nice. It's so beautiful. And I think I was so distracted by the leather and the stitching and, you know, just the components that I just never seen anything like it in a car before. And um, I, I don't think I'd ever experienced love with an automobile the way I did. You know, I'd always, I always loved the business and I loved... I actually think I probably liked... You fell in love with the car. I did, which I probably had never happened um, in my life. I always had loved everything that sat around the car business, but I hadn't loved the car. And then this was the first time I'd really fall in love with a car. So that those two weeks, I just got to drive everything. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. And then I packed my bags and... I flew to, to, come to, flew to L.A. States. Yeah, and um, said goodbye to my husband because he, it all happened so fast. He needed his visa, so he was going to stay behind. So I came here on my own and um, rented a little, you know, like Airbnb in Laguna Beach and was like, okay, new journey, going to have to figure it out. And, um, and that's what really started, you know, my career with Aston Martin, which... Um, yeah, I think I'd never fallen in love with a car before until I drove an Aston Martin. And um, yeah, so got here, got to meet the team and really understand the business here, the challenges, what we wanted to do. Andy had taken me through the second century plan. So Andy Palmer had joined the company a year before I had. And speaking of 90 days, within his first 90 days, he had um, set out his plan for the second century. So if Aston Martin was 100 years old, it was the how we can take care of the next hundred years. And it's kind of like we're all custodians of this brand, you know, and probably a brand that's more beloved than almost any in the world. You know, we have this huge responsibility to take care of the brand and take care of the products and take care of our customers. So he had talked me through the plan and um, he'd shown me the first car in the second century plan, which is DB11. And then I saw that car and I was like, okay, I've fallen in love again. This is the most beautiful car I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he started talking about seven cars in seven years and a complete transformation for our business. And that's what I was like, I want to be part of that. And so when I got here, it was the how do we, you know, what's the plan look like here? And how do we launch these cars? And how do we, you know, have the right dealer network and the right customer support and all the rest of it? And um, But this is everything you've done. It's everything You're I've done. Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, none of it was... It was very smart hire on their part. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think so. <laughs> I don't know, so you'll like this. So after I start the job um, and I say goodbye to my husband, he comes to visit me. It's our anniversary and we hadn't seen each other. And we were, like, really happy to see each other. And then he goes back to England. And I had to fly back to England in December for, you know, a conference. 
was like, God, I just don't feel like myself. I was like, maybe this move and, you know, all the rest of it is like, I just don't feel right. I said, it's got to be, you know, I'm putting all this pressure on myself with this job and I've got to get everything going in 90 days. Like back to the, I have to solve every problem and take care Give of everything. Give me 90 Give days. Give me 90 days. <laughs> I was like, Andy Palmer came up with an entire plan for a company in 90 days. I can do this. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than 90 days. But, um, and I'm like, wow, I can't be pregnant. That's not even actually possible, blah, blah. Long story short, I found out like five weeks after I'd started my job at Aston Martin, I was pregnant. And we weren't necessarily thinking about having children. And it was a bit of a surprise. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to, you know, they've given me this huge responsibility. Um, and and, there's, and yeah. there's not many women in this, you know, uh, type of role in the car business. You know, it's very male-dominated industry still. Hopefully not for much longer. But um, and they've entrusted me with the most iconic brand in the world. And now I need to call him and tell him, I, like I'm pregnant. And I, I got all upset about it. And. You know, I called them and they're like, that's great news. You know, how much time do you guys get off for the United States? I'm like, I don't know, three months. <laughs> you know, because so no one. Congratulations. Yeah, there was no, I, they were actually really supportive. Um, it, it was a tough year for me personally, just because I'd moved and my husband was still in the UK. So we unfortunately only saw each other like twice during my pregnancy. Um, and so he moved a week before the baby was born. It's a and good thing your brother vacuumed your hair. <laughs> you know, back to that story. Well, it kind of goes back to teams, you know, like I'd fallen in love with this brand. I f probably the first time I'd ever fell in love with a car and the process of building a car. And now and then I, child coming. But then I got to fall in love with the team I had around me because, you know, like the team here in California, they were literally doing like dry runs to the hospital to see how long it would take in case I went into labor. Oh, you know what I mean? Man. And I was like, I love you all, but if you're taking me to the hospital to deliver this baby, like I feel like something's kind of gone wrong. <laughs> you know, because my family's all in Kentucky and they're you're flying back and yeah, forth, I, you know, running a car company. So the, the company is actually stepping up and taking oh, care oh, of you. The company was great so supportive and the team was really supportive. I, I actually get quite emotional about it because, you know, I was just going through a really emotional time. Like, you know, and I wanted everything to be done in 90 days. Like I'm going to, you know, basically set this business up for complete success, um, which we have set ourselves up for success and it's ridiculously exciting. But the first year was tough. And, you know, now the second year, getting the, the new cars on the road, the new products on the road. I've been kind of overwhelmed. You know, I meet people, I was like, they're like, well, what do you do? I said, oh, I, I work for Aston Martin. The first thing is like, oh God, that's so cool. Like Aston Martin, that's my favorite car in the world. It makes people smile. You know, Aston Martin's a brand that just evokes all sorts of positive emotions. And then they're like, oh, what do you do for them? I was like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm the president. And then, <laughs> and then you kind of get the look like, oh, that is unbelievable. I had an Uber <laughs> driver ask me for my autograph the other day. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and so you get the baby comes? Baby comes. She's now two. Did you drive to the hospital in an Aston Martin? <laughs> no, we didn't. We were going to, but we did put the child seat in the back of a DB11 because it fits. So she's she's been in an Aston Martin, and she's got a little mini Aston Martin. So we've got all these pictures of her and her Aston Martin <laughs> next to my Aston Martin. So it was funny. I'll send them to my friends. Like, oh, here's Marie in her Aston Martin. They're like, 
you've got to be kidding me. Your daughter has an Aston Martin. It's like, my daughter loves my car, which is not an Aston Martin. Um, so, yeah, she's got good taste for a two-year-old. <laughs> it must feel like, at this point, your husband's moved. He's here. He's here. Our dog's the do- here. The baby's That's- good. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think the, probably, I think this role more than any job I've ever had, um, I feel the pressure I put on myself because of my love for this brand and these cars. Like, I've, I've told people I feel really honored. Like, I'm honored that I'm in this role. Do, do you still feel inside, give me 90 days? <laughs> Some, do, do you tell yourself that? Sometimes, you know, if I'm trying to solve something, you, know, you can't do it overnight. So I, I love to sort of put a, a proper strategy in place. I'm like, yeah, give me the 90 days to get it where I want it. Um, I think in 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 increments. I love to create a five-year plan, but honestly, like, you know, you've got to have manageable chunks. And anything that I'm still not afraid. Anything that I don't know how to do, I mean, I just sign myself up for like, you know, Google digital conferences. I'll go on a weekend. I can tell you this. I'll go on a weekend and be like, just because I I have this like thirst to learn, you know. Um, my job is to set the strategy for the team and and ha- and be surrounded by the I, best people on the planet. I would love to see you at one of those conferences well, with a, the person next to you say hi. What, what do they you do? do? They're like, oh, do, do you like work in the marketing department? So I was like, I just I do. Um, I work in all the departments. Um, yeah, I just I have a I have a tremendous thirst for understanding that you know the world's moving at a fast pace. How people want to engage with brands has changed. Um, you know, we're a business that's been around for 105 years, you know, on the cusp of, you know, these cars and doing some really, you know, something really special. And I, I'm a custodian of this brand and I feel, I feel a burden on my shoulder sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm the caretaker for a brand that I think has some of the best brand equity in the world. You know, and in the history of Aston Martin, Aston Martin will go on for hundreds and hundreds of years and I will just be like this little blip on the map. But, um... I take the responsibility very seriously and um, so, so makes ha- me happy. I, I can tell just <laughs> from the glow on your face. And I'm wondering how that leads to a Super Bowl party in Minneapolis where you're okay. challenging Shaquille O'Neal so, to beer pong. So that's really funny. Well, so um, so now that you've met me, so I'm not really good with scripts. Like, So when I present, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Like, I, I'll write down what I want to say, but then when I get up there, I just sort of talk because I, I usually know what I want to say. And, it, and I I always respond when it comes from the heart. When you meet with people, like, it comes from the heart, right? And so we're at the Super Bowl. And um, you probably know we have a product ambassador, a guy that works with our brand named Tom Brady. And I uh, do know. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. So nice. And um, so we, we were like, we're going to go to the Super Bowl and do some activation for Aston Martin. We've got a great dealer in Minneapolis. We did a few parties, and there's this big charity party one of the nights. And uh, I think it was a Saturday night beforehand, maybe. And so um, you know, we're auctioning off a car. And they're like, okay, Laura, you're going to be introducing the car. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, what, what do you, how much time do I have? What do you want me to say? And they're like, oh, you got five minutes. Introduce yourself. Talk about Aston Martin. Talk about the car. Well, I walk into this room, and it's this tent. And there's a and Jamie Foxx is like the MC with Shaquille O'Neal, and it is like 
the greatest party of all time. Like these people are like <laughs> jumping up and down, like they've never had more fun in their life. And I and so I'm looking at the organizers. I'm like, when when am I gonna go on stage? And like, as soon as Jamie Foxx is done, like, you know, basically thanking Shaquille O'Neal, I was like, then I walk on stage. I'm like, literally, this place is gonna go from like, this was the best night of my life to like, <laughs> you know, who is she? Um, and so I was like, I don't wanna be like corporate oh, person. You had to you know, do I had to do, I had to do something that didn't seem like you, cause. The cause, middle kid, the middle child yeah, had so to stand I had, out. I, I didn't wanna just be like, I, you know, I'm sorry that you went from Shaquille O'Neal to me, you know, but they let me, the people were really excited about the car, so. I'm not remotely apologetic about that, but I was like, I don't want to do the corporate, you know, speak. You know, they're having like this great time. So I stand up and I'm like, is everyone having fun out there tonight, you know? <laughs> and, they're, and they're looking at me like, who are you? I was like, I am Laura Schwab and I am president of Aston Martin. I was like, Shaquille, don't go too far because I want to challenge you. I was like, everyone back there at the beer pong, watch out. I'm challenging Shaquille O'Neal to a game of beer pong. I think he's like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and people started cracking up. And so, you know, and then I had a chance to talk about the company and talk about the car we were auctioning off and, and it and everyone got really excited about it. But it was funny when I got off the stage, they're like, Did you really challenge Shaquille O'Neal to beer pong? I was like, I'm actually I was like, we're even plain old ping pong. I was like, I'm actually pretty good. <laughs> so we haven't had we haven't had our match yet, but uh, I'm prepared for it. <laughs> I know you are, as you have been every step of the way. Well, this has been thanks. fascinating. You're so nice. I mean, I really appreciate it. I learned so much. I mean, I, I wish I was young again that I could use this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's been interesting? I guess like one final thought is, um, we've done it here. Like I've hired people on the team that have had no experience if they've got the right attitude because it's like, if I can give them the break that people gave me, wow. you know, and for them to say like they've worked for Aston Martin, you know, that's that's pretty good on, on your resume. I've been, I didn't think of myself in my life ever as necessarily a role model, but in this role I've been, in such a heartfelt way, I've been so touched by how many people have like send me messages just to say like, thank you, you seem like a real person, you're breaking down barriers and you know I guess I'm just kind of doing it my way which is like what my mom always told me to do just never compromise always be myself but um I guess that's my advice and you know don't let it get get you down like whenever I've been down I just like become more determined so um yeah that's kind of the story <laughs> it's an amazing one but you. you're right under the Aston Martin logo yeah it's pretty gorgeous and I think if we still have time, I don't know, you may have an appointment. Uh, we were going to go out in a car, but yeah. you tell me. We, we got yeah. a few minutes? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go out and hit the road for a few minutes. You think you're smiling now. <laughs> Wait until you start driving the car. I don't know how my smile can get any bigger, but... Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been great. It's been fun. The best is yet to come. I know. Yeah, we'll get to drive the cars. <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. That about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferriss, as always, for nudging me to start this podcast. Got to thank Valentine Oldham for helping to set up my conversation with Laura. Gratitude to Matt Clark and all the folks at Aston Martin for making it happen. Also, Jeff Glucker for some camera work on my ride. 
Shout out to Luz Fleming for his audio engineering expertise. Oh, and one more thing to Shaquille O'Neal and anyone else out there who might have to face Laura in a game of beer pong, you might want to brush up on your skills beforehand. See you next week, and cheers! 